of idolatry. Last week we began to look at temptation and how we, of course, can avoid temptation. And we saw the warning that was displayed and the caution that God gave through uh, the missionary Paul. This morning, as Paul continues and leads us, we want to look at the warning of idolatry. He continues. Let's look at verse number 15 with me. We'll read down to verse number 22, and then we'll get right into what God has for us today. Notice what the Bible says. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel after the flesh, are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What say I then, that the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the, which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of the devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Father, I need your help this morning. I need your wisdom. And God, as we look at the word of God, God, we're going to be much more of teaching this morning. But God, as we teach through the Word of God and we understand some reasoning behind your Word, I pray that you would help us, please, to one, see the truth of the Word of God and one, to clarify and to know a doctrinal stand that is so important. And God, I pray that you would teach us, show and guide us in the reasoning behind some instruction that you give. Help us, please. Guide my heart, guide my thoughts as I try to help your people. Thank you for leading us through Scripture. Help us, please, to have one God, none other than you. Teach us, guide us, mold us and shape us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning in our society today, we have a lot of hot topics, do we not? There are some key phrases that if we were to state today, would arouse a myriad of emotions among many, many people today. We could look at topics such as the lockdown, the new vaccine for COVID, climate change, the LGBT agenda, and as we even mention those words, your heart might move or change or even be bristled in one way or the other, just as we even mention these hot topics of society. And these are just a few. We can obviously look at many, many more. Paul was a master at addressing hot topics. He was one that would address not only in bringing it to light, but teaching the reason and the biblical procedure and behind those hot topics. The reason and where he stood upon the word of God and the truth by which he navigated life. 
You see, Paul was not one of those that would simply state a hot topic on social media and then step away and watch the explosion happen below and all the comments following or the Twitter feed that would then begin and all the retweets and the comments that would suit. That wasn't Paul. And by the way, a child of God should not ever follow and exhibit anger and anxiety and stir wrath. That's not Christian-like. It's not wise Christianity. Paul was not one of those. He mentioned those, and he was not afraid of these topics, as we'll see in just a moment. However, the Bible teaches us that as Paul addressed these hot topics, he truly taught the reasoning and the thinking behind it. If you'll remember a couple of chapters ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul taught about a hot topic, that of which was the eating of meat that had some affiliation to idol worship. In that society, in that culture today, and in many places around the world, you can still find this thinking and this uh, influence in still many areas of society, and we have different forms of it here in where we live, and we'll expose that here in just a few moments. But the Bible teaches us and gives us instruction that this meat was a hot topic among the church of Corinth. You see, what they would do is there was two sides of this. There was one side that said you should not eat any meat, no matter if it's okay to eat or not, no matter if it's good meat or if it's seasoned meat. You should not ever eat any meat that was ever offered to idols. This limited a lot of things because much of the meat that would be sold in the markets would have first have been part of a sacrifice among an idol-worshiping temple. And as that meat was then offered as a sacrifice, that cooked meat then would be sent to the market and it would then be sold. It would be given to this, this idol-worshiping temple. The, uh, the priest or uh, the ministers of that temple, if we can put it that way, would then sell it to the markets. Uh, they received it for free, but they would sell it to the markets uh, for a profit, of course, complete profit. And they would then, then those uh, 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 shops who purchased the meat would then, of course, resell it at a conditional markup price. So it was something that was very common and something that was very, very prominent, especially in this Gentile nation or this Gentile city of Corinth. And there were some that said you shouldn't eat any of that meat. If it's been offered to an idol, you should not eat any of it. Then there were some that said it's okay to eat that meat. It's just meat. It's just a piece of lamb. It's just a piece of meat. It's okay to eat. God said we can eat any meat, and some of them took it to a step that was a point of serious contention, and Paul focuses upon this once again, where they said it was not only okay to eat the meat, but it was okay to eat that meat even as it was being prepared for the idol sacrifice. So in essence, they would say it's okay to even eat that meat even 
if you are a part of that idol worship time, you're focusing upon Christ, you're worshiping Christ, you want to worship him, you go to church, you read the word of God, you, you have Jesus Christ as your savior, and yet you go to an idolatrous service where this meat would be sacrificed and then partake of that meat in the midst of that sacrifice. So there was two extremes. There was a ditch on both sides of the road, if you could put it that way. There was two extremes to the thinking, and Paul was trying to help them understand in, the chap in chapter 8 about a higher way. There's a greater way than the ditch on both sides. He was focused upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul understood the issues and he understood this topic so well. He was studied and he had showed himself approved that he could use these, this argument, this debate, this division among the church as a way to help people know they need Christ as, uh, as Savior. He could use this as a focus to get the gospel to others and to further the gospel of others. Paul wasn't afraid to eat the meat that was offered to idols. However, we'll see he had some restrictions to that. He would not go as far as some would, and yet he would refrain from eating. He would walk a balanced life, and as he walked a balanced life, his focus was upon teaching and furthering the gospel of Christ. You see, he had a higher way than just one ditch or the other. His higher way was the gospel of Christ. He was focused on teaching people the good news of Christ. He was furthering the gospel, and he was willing to take an approach in which he could use either argument to further Jesus Christ. And oh, we can learn so much from that. That's a principle and truly instruction in which we look in the many hot topics of our society. It doesn't matter what side of the road in which you follow or what you are on. Let me ask Christians who are gospel-centered, are focusing on the gospel, have we taken the approach of Paul? Have we taken it to the point to where we focus upon the gospel of Jesus Christ and we know how to use one side of the argument or the other side of the argument to navigate people to the gospel of Christ? That is wisdom, as we'll see in just a moment. And Paul, in his wise Christian heart and mind, now, in a masterful way, leads people to open their hearts and minds. Notice what he says in verse number 15 of our text this morning. He says, I speak as to wise men, judging what I say. How does he begin this conversation? How does he begin and transfer from temptation to speaking about that in which was something that was against Scripture? He did so by approaching with a calm rationale. A rationale of heart and mind focused upon looking at the truth of the Word of God and letting the Word of God navigate one's heart and mind. That's why it's so important, Christian, for us to learn and trust the Word of God. It helps our minds become a stable force that can be focused upon what Christ is focused upon, 
to seek and to save that which is lost. The gospel is what God wants us to get around the world. Not simply one issue, not simply a part of a debate, but God wants us to get the gospel to every creature. And may we have that heart in mind, to have that focus upon the gospel of Christ. Paul said, I'm speaking to those who are wise. It's an open invitation. As we think about that very thought, speaking to those that are wise, all of us want to put ourselves there, do we not? I want to consider myself wise, and I want to consider myself as knowing Scripture, and I want to consider myself, it leads into a thought that, okay, I, I'm willing to open and consider what is about to be presented. Paul here addresses this very thing. You see, he was wisely leading people to be open to the conversation that the Holy Spirit was going to have in their heart. He was leading people not to a side in which he was on, but to the Holy Spirit of God and to the teaching in which God was going to give. Paul would address this specific issue, this specific situation that one side was leaning for and was not afraid to do. He wasn't afraid of approaching that topic that was on ditch on one side of the road. However, as you look at Scripture, as he addresses these situations, these type of situations, you will not find that this is a majority of the part of the letters as far as addressing a specific issue, as we'll see in just a moment. A majority of Paul's letters were those of Re biblical reasoning and instruction that taught the why behind what a child of God should do. You see, Paul had a mentality, a thinking, that when he taught people the reasoning behind what the Word of God taught and the instruction that the Word of God had given and taught the biblical understanding of it, that when a child of God is faced with a particular situation, the Holy Spirit begins to lead and guide and helps them to depend upon not what Paul said, but what upon God said. We try our very best to teach a lot of the Word of God. We go through a lot of Scripture if you followed our services for any length of time, you know we speak a lot of the Word of God. Why? Because we want to have the same, the same reasoning, the same mind concept, the same part leading, where we lean people to a point in which we understand that the Holy Spirit of God can lead through every situation. I cannot be at every situation in which you and I are presented with, excuse me, or you are presented with. I can't be there. I'm one person. I can only be at one place at one time. I don't have all the answers, but I know a God who does have all the answers. And if we help people understand the reasoning behind what Scripture teaches and the reason of what Scripture instructs, the Holy Spirit can use His Word to help us understand and navigate life even if we've never addressed that situation specifically. This month, we've taught upon leading into, uh, or the response to a government, and we've taught not specifics. 
we address some things as far as what God mentions, but I am not going to simply state and debate upon one side or the other. I want us to know the biblical understanding and the biblical reasoning, because if we understand the biblical reasoning behind what God's heart and mind is teaching through the word of God, it is incredible how the Holy Spirit can then guide and lead us in specific situations that we find ourselves in. The thinking and the reasoning and the focus upon the Holy Spirit of God and the truth of Scripture is vital if we're going to navigate life and the so many ditches we find, the so many uh, holes and the uh, uh, warnings and the uh, cautions that the, that the world uh, uh, truly ignores and continues past and finds themselves in a broken, destructive mess of their life. God warns us and teaches how we can avoid those and how we can navigate life and avoid those situations. And Paul taught that biblical reasoning. Paul taught how one can navigate this and he was opening their hearts and minds for the conversation. May we open our hearts and minds to this conversation. You say, Pastor, that's not a thing. Let's focus upon Scripture and what the principle and what the Word of God has to teach. The philosophy behind this biblical understanding will help us to navigate certain areas of our life. It will help us to avoid some downfalls, especially in a season in which we are about to enter and are entering. First of all, this morning, I want us to see, or as uh, let's see what the Word of God has teaching us about the fellowship of, with Jesus. Paul opens the conversation. Let's be wise about this. Let's see. And when you see what the scripture says, you judge. You take upon if I'm speaking apart from the word of God. If I am, then correct me. If I'm not, then take it on board and follow what scripture has for us. And as he addresses this situation specifically of eating meat, notice how he begins the conversation as he reminds people of the fellowship that there is with Christ. Notice what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The blood which we break, is it not the communion, excuse me, the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. First of all, Paul here in this scripture brings out the purpose of communion. Now, Paul calls our attention here to the communion around the Lord's Supper. Sometimes it's called just communion. Sometimes the Lord's table, as Paul calls it later in our, con uh, uh, later in our scripture context. Or sometimes we hear it called the Lord's Supper. It's all speaking of the same event, speaking of that last supper with the disciples and going to the example in which Paul is referring to here. We often hear call it the Lord's Supper. It doesn't matter what you call it. God uses these words interchangeably throughout Scripture. But here in our text of Scripture, Paul is highlighting one particular aspect of this time of remembering the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus Christ. 
he speaks of communion. That word communion is literally means fellowship. So he is emphasizing here the fellowship that goes around the Lord's Supper. He is focusing upon that which is connecting one's heart to Jesus Christ. Notice what the Bible teaches us in Luke chapter 22. We mentioned it, now let's read scripture for it. In Luke chapter 22, verse number 19, the Bible says, And he, Jesus, took bread and gave thanks and brake it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise, also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. The purpose of communion, the purpose of the Lord's Supper is to what? To remember Jesus Christ. It is to remember the blood that he shed. That is why we use grape juice, unfermented wine. That's why we use the, uh, the uh, illustration there of unfermented or untainted or sinless blood. The Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ did, never, did not sin. He was tempted at all points as we are, yet without sin, the Bible teaches us. He was sinless. He was perfect. And his sinless blood was shed for us. That's why it's so important to use unfermented juice, unfermented grape juice. Why? Because it pictures the perfect sinless blood of Jesus Christ. For a church to use fermented wine or alcoholic wine is a false picture. It actually recalls people to the focus of a sinful blood instead of a sinless blood. And that is a, an errant picture. That is a false picture that God warns us of. And we are to use that which shows the clean or the pure holy blood that Jesus shed for our sins. Next he would use, and uh, uh, next we see that Jesus Christ broke the bread. The Bible speaks of that bread. That bread is unleavened bread. It was the Passover. This would be unleavened bread in which Jesus would have passed around. This unleavened bread, again, pictures the sinless nature of Christ. There was no wrong in him. As Pontius Pilate looked at Jesus Christ, he said, I can find no fault in him. There's no fault in Jesus Christ. He is perfect. He is God. And that unleavened bread, again, showing the pure and the cleanness, a cleanness of Jesus Christ. He is God, and to picture him as perfect God, one uses unleavened bread and unfermented juice. Powerful pictures and important things that we must remember and recall our minds to. Paul reminds us that our purpose for communing is to focus upon Christ. And oh, we ought to rejoice in what Jesus allowed himself to suffer. He didn't have to suffer those things. He could have called legions of angels, and he could have avoided the cross, but it was not the Father's will. He yielded his will to the Father's, and he allowed himself 
to be beaten. He allowed his blood to be shed. He allowed, yea, his hands to be nailed to that cross. He allowed that crown of thorns to be put upon his brow. He allowed himself to be beaten beyond recognition of a man, to be hung up as a spectacle. He allowed himself to be humbled. He allowed himself, yea, to take upon the sins of the entire world and to shed his blood for you and I. He allowed it all because he is perfect God. And he knew that when he laid down his life, he could take it up again. Why? Because he is God and death cannot hold him. Thank God for the cross. Thank God for Calvary. Thank God for the price he paid. Jesus Christ paid the price for us. And as we, hound, uh, and, and as, we as a church and as a body of believers break that unleavened bread and drink that unfermented juice, we are recalling our hearts and minds to the sacrifice in which Jesus Christ did. It is an important thing. We call it an ordinance, something that a church ought to do at a, uh, 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 ought to do in order to recall our hearts and minds to Jesus Christ. How important it is that we focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about him. And notice, as he speaks of fellowship, notice he speaks of the connection to it. The connection to this. In our text, in verse number fifteen or verse number sixteen and seventeen, he speaks of one cup, of one bread. Can I recall some culture at this time? We spoke of culture, about the context into our passage this morning. But let me relay some things in which will help us to even understand and put these things together. The Bible speaks of one cup. Paul speaks of one cup. What would they do? Remember, this is before COVID here. <laughs> they would take juice and they would put it in one cup. A church. I don't know how many there would be, but they would take this one cup and they would pass it along. And each one would take a small drink out of this cup to remember that they are all coming to one Jesus Christ. They would take one piece of bread. Now, granted, it could be large pieces of bread. And they would take, again, a small piece, and they would break it off and pass it down and break it off and pass it down and break it off and pass it down. But they would take a one cup and of one bread to help them to remember that they are coming to the same Savior. You see, we all get saved the same way through Jesus Christ. And we all come to the same Savior. It doesn't matter this morning what social uh, strategy or, so, or what social uh, hierarchy you are in society. It doesn't matter how low in social hierarchy you might think you are this morning. It doesn't matter how many sins are in your life. It doesn't matter how little sins you might think there are in your life. It doesn't matter what background you have or what amount you have in your bank account. It doesn't matter what, uh, uh, where we find ourselves in life. We all come to the same Savior, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the one that saves us. He is the way. There is no other name. There is no other way that is known. There is no other way that is given but through Jesus Christ. And as we all come to Jesus Christ, he wonderfully and freely gives those salvation to those who simply call upon him. 
The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If we simply call out and say, God, I need you to save me, God says, I save to the uttermost. He forgives us of all sin. He cleanses us and washes us white as snow. What an incredible God we have this morning that truly forgives us no matter who you are, no matter what is in your past or where you find yourself in life. You can come to Christ for salvation. Thank God for that. Thank God for that oneness we have in Christ. We all come to Jesus. And the Bible teaches us that as we come to Jesus, and as this church would celebrate communion, would celebrate the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table, there was a fellowship that would come. Because if we are all coming to the same Savior, that means when we come to Him for salvation, we become part of one family. Notice Paul states we are of one body in verse number 17. One body. In other words, when we come to Jesus Christ, we become part of the body or the family of God. We become part of one with Him. We become part of the family of God Himself. Jesus spoke of it this way in Mark chapter 9, verse number 38. And John answered Him saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in Thy name, and he followed, us, and followed not us. And we forbade him, because he followeth not us. But Jesus said, Forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is on our part. What was Jesus saying? He's saying, If he's for us, if he's for the gospel, then he's for me. We need to remind ourselves of that as Christians that there is one family of God. We're part of the family of God, and thank God for that. I'm part of His family. And what an awesome thing it is to be part of the children of God. If you're saved, you are my brother or sister in Christ. I am your brother in Christ if you are a born-again child of God. We are part of that family. And Jesus said if someone is preaching the gospel of Christ and is furthering the gospel, then Jesus says, I'm for him. Leave him alone. We need to remind ourselves of this often because as Christians, we can begin debating some issues and become a fighting and shunning part of the body of God that goes on in Christian so-called churches today, often because our preferences don't line up with someone of our own. I don't understand that. Why should we shun those who are preaching the gospel? They may not look like I look. They may not do everything that I do. But if they're preaching the gospel of Christ and they are preaching Jesus Christ is the way, truth, and the life. Hallelujah, may the gospel go forward. And if God allows us influence, I, I would gladly help and instruct and help them to see what God has and how we can better and more effectively preach the gospel of Christ. But if someone is preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, God says we should be for them. We should be helping them and instruct them. 
And what a wonderful thing it is that we can truly be partakers of the gospel. Thank God that we can partake and we can help and our, uh, 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 help tell others the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank God for the privilege we have of coming to one Savior, become part of the one family of God, and then begin to further the gospel with the one gospel of Christ. The fellowship is all centered upon Jesus. It's all about Him receiving the gospel reminding ourselves of the gospel and furthering the gospel of Christ as the family of God. And then Paul gives us an illustration. He gives us an illustration of the fellowship with Jesus Christ. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 18 of our text. Behold, Israel after the flesh, are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What is Paul speaking of here? Paul here is speaking of an illustration of a type of sacrifice that Israel would offer to the Lord. Not every sacrifice would be done in this way, but Paul pulls out a sacrifice, and I'm going to use one. Paul doesn't specifically give us which sacrifice he is speaking of, but he is speaking of a type of a sacrifice. Notice what the Bible teaches us in Leviticus chapter 3. I'm not going to walk all the way through this. I want, to, I want you to see certain key aspects in which Paul pulls out in this conversation about uh, eating meat offered to idols. And we're going somewhere with this, so please don't lose me. In Leviticus chapter 3, notice what the Bible says in verse number 1. And if his oblation be a sacrifice of peace offering. If he offer it of the herd, whether it be a male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. So here in Leviticus chapter 3, we are seeing the context that this is a peace offering. An offering that would be made among the congregation of Israel by the priests and the Levites, of course, in preparation for that. And they would offer it as a peace offering, as a significance of Jesus Christ being a sacrifice for our peace, our peace with God. And thank God Jesus Christ was willing to be that sacrifice. He was willing to be that sacrifice of peace. I have peace with God, not because of what I have done, but because of the sacrifice Jesus Christ is. Look at verse number 3 very quickly. And he shall offer of the sacrifice of the peace offering, an offering made by fire unto the Lord, the fat that covered the inwards and all the fat that is upon the inwards. So again, he, we're speaking of the offering, that of which is offered to the sacrifice of the peace offering. And then, and then the Bible teaches us, Leviticus 3, some ways in which they would prepare that. We're not going to go through the preparation for the sacrifice, but God truly gives instructions on how to prepare the sacrifice of a peace offering. I want us to go all the way towards the end of the chapter, look at verse number 16. And the priest shall burn them upon the altar, speaking of that sacrifice, and notice these words, there's some key words you need to be focused upon right now as we're thinking about, in context, the offering that is sacrificed to an idol. Notice what the Bible says. It is the food of the offering made by fire for a sweet savor. All the fat is the Lord. It shall be a perpetual statute for your generations throughout all your dwellings. Another key phrase there that you eat neither fat nor blood. So what would happen here? 
they would take an animal and they would offer it as a peace offering. They would take and remove all of the fat, all of the blood, and they would remove that. And that which would give a sweet savor or a savor to the meat, a flavor to the meat, would then be removed. That is the Lord. Beautiful picture there. When Jesus Christ was offered as a sacrifice, it was a sweet savor to God. This is hard to even allow our minds to fully grasp that. But that sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross of Calvary, it was sweet to God because he knew that it was a joy that was set before him because it was going to reunite us with God when we come to him. Powerful thing. But watch this, that sacrifice that was performed, that was removed of fat, that was removed of anything that would add flavor to that meat, would then be food for the congregation. They would take the offering, and those that were there in attendance would then have part of that meat, part of that sacrifice. They would enjoy that meat as a reminder of what the sacrifice was made and the peace that is with God, and they were partakers of it. They shared in it. They were part of it. They were partaking in that sacrifice. And that sacrifice, as they ate that meat, connected them to what was performed that day. It was a connection. It tied them together. One of the most precious times, one of the times I enjoy so much here is the Lord's Supper. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, there's a connection and a closeness that comes with God's people that is only of God. I feel closer to God's people at that time than many other times of ministry. There's something about the Lord's Supper. There's something about that connection of fellowship, of that beautiful uh, 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 symbols in which we partake on the broken unleavened bread and the shed unfermented juice. And when we partake of those it ties us and it connects us together and it brings a closeness of fellowship that is indescribable. It's incredible how God does that. And this is what, what's happening around this sacrifice. As they partook of that meat, it allowed them to share and to be connected in fellowship together that signified we are trusting God, we are trusting in the future sacrifice Jesus Christ, we are trusting in the Messiah that is going to come. He's going to take away our sins and we're going to have peace with him. And we are partaking together, looking forward to what that is going to be. There was a closeness. There was a connection there. And this is what Paul is pulling out. This is where Paul is going. He is tying in with the fellowship. He is trying to give an illustration, help them understand the closeness that comes with a close fellowship with God. Look at verse number 19. I spent, much, spent too much time on that, but I feel it is important for us to get the context of this. Look at verse number 19 quickly with me. 
What say I then? That the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? Paul is saying, first of all, he said, is, the idol, is, is, is an idol anything? No, he said, I understand that an idol is just simply stone. It's simply metal. It's simply maybe some jewels they've put together. It's nothing. It can't hear them. It's nothing. There's no value to it at all. It is simply a statue. It is simply a piece of wood. It cannot hear. It cannot answer prayer. It cannot do anything. It is simply a man-made idol. He understands that. But look at verse number 20. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. Notice he says, when they're sacrificing these things, they are not focusing upon a fellowship with God, but they're rather focusing upon a fellowship with the devils. It is demonic. They are connecting themselves to something that is hellish. It is from hell. It is from Satan. It is from Lucifer himself. It is from the demons. And he says, notice he ends, and I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Remember, Paul was speaking to wise men. He was saying, open your hearts for a moment, open your mind. If you go and you go to an idol or a temple and you eat that meat that's been offered to an idol while the sacrifice is going on, just as you were, just as the Israelites were connected in fellowship among offerings like the peace offering, just like you are connected in fellowship with the Lord's Supper, or the Lord's table, or communion. He says, just as you feel that connection and that closeness, he says, when you are partaking of the meat while the sacrifice is going on knowing that idol worship is going on around you and the ritual is being performed in front of your very eyes. He says, when you are there, when you are fellowshipping of that and you are partaking of that meat, he says, you are connecting yourself to fellowship with the devils. You see why Paul taught and Paul instructed in such a way? Because he is pulling out the connection, the fellowship that comes when one is partaking of the meat that is uh, that is offered to idols when the offering is taking place he says that is a connection that it's i know it's just meat i know it's i know it's nothing wrong with the meat but the fellowship is where it is wrong the fellowship is where this activity becomes sinful and it becomes an aligning of yourself with a purpose that is not of God. As a part of the family of God, we ought not to align our purposes in fellowship with the devil worship. This is partaking with idolatry. Remember in verse number 14 of uh, last week, he says, flee from idolatry. Flee from it. Run from it. Will it be tempting to do that? Yes, it will be because you know that it's just meat. And even though your purpose might be to, to strike up a relationship with someone 
who is partaking of that idol worship and tell them of Christ, he says, you're not, you're missing the focus. You're missing, missing the point. He says, you're connecting yourself with the devils. You're connecting yourself with the worship there. And what you want to further in the gospel will be hindered. It will not be effective. It will become something sinful. It will become a hindrance instead of furtherance for the gospel of Christ. Paul made it very clear that meat eating meat to idols sold in the marketplaces is not wrong. But eating it in the temple of those idols while the sacrifice was being performed was fellowshipping with devils and not God. And we ought to be very careful about the fellowship and the places that goes on around us. I know of Christians who argue that seances are okay to be a part of as long as you want to get the gospel through them. May I state what Paul just stated? We ought not to fellowship with devils. That is devil worship. A Christian ought not to be a part of that. Ouija boards are something in which a Christian ought to avoid and not to be a partaker of. Why? Because it is, again, a focus on a fellowship with the devils god wants us truly to be set apart to be holy and to be clean and you can further the gospel further by stating no than saying yes and that's where the temptation comes in that paul already background and already put in context because our heart will be put in temptation at times the devil will even use sharing the gospel in a situation like this as a temptation to partake in sin. I was taught throughout seminary, it is never right to do wrong to do right. And that is true. It's not right to go to a devilish seance to further the gospel of Christ. It will hinder your testimony. You will not be effective. You will be more effective saying, no, I'm not going to partake of that. I don't need to worship the devil. I worship Jesus Christ who defeated Satan. I know one who can answer your prayers in a much more powerful way. I know one who listens and answers prayer. He, can, he answers at any time. You can come to him and you can pray knowing that you can enjoy hearing uh, or your, your heart being heard from uh, 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 by the throne of grace you can come to him in prayer and you can have your heart burdens lifted upon calvary you can come to christ you can come to god he will answer your prayers you don't need to partake in those things as a children of god we ought to be careful about the fellowship notice verse number 20 21 please very quickly as we look lastly at the dichotomy of fellowship almost done the Bible says in verse number 21, notice what the Bible says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. He says you cannot fellowship with both. He said you'll either go to the one or you'll serve the other. You can't have two different masters. It doesn't work. Jesus stated it this way in Matthew chapter 6. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. 
You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve both. It's impossible to serve both. The Bible speaks in verse number 22, do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? We can't serve two masters. It is dangerous to try to do so for we will hold to one. We will end up loving one and hating the other. We will end up serving one or the other. We cannot and will not serve both. It is vital as, a children, as children of God that we understand that our actions and where we go and the fellowship in which we connect ourselves do influence and move our hearts. It does move us to do dangerous things in our fellowship if it's wrong. There's arguments today that Christians should go to a bar. I'm not talking about a pub. I'm talking one that is specifically designed for nothing more than the consumption of alcohol. Or a dance club with unsaved friends because if I go and if I have a social drink, if I go and just have one glass, it'll give me an open opportunity to preach the gospel more. They'll listen more. That's not scriptural. That's very much what Paul is speaking of here. That's going into eating meat at a place where the idol worship is happening. It cannot work together with worshiping God. It will lead a direction in which we ought not to go. It will lead a direction in which will bring hurt and brokenness and destruction to our lives. God teaches us that our fellowship and our behavior can idolize devilish actions even as children of God. And we ought to be very careful to avoid such actions and to distance ourselves from those things. And this type of action, Paul says, provokes God to jealousy. You see, God is a jealous God. He wants my heart. He wants your heart. And he will fight for our hearts. Paul says, do we think we're stronger than the Lord? Are you stronger than God? Your creator? None of us are. And if we think we can go to the battle with the Lord and win, we will find that we will not win that battle. Paul is not speaking of a liberty in Christ. He is speaking of rather a provocation of God himself. And the Bible warns us very clearly about this type of behavior. Go to the book of Exodus, a very familiar portion of Scripture, chapter 20. There's a phrase in here that I have never noticed before. And as I studied and prepared for this, God brought this out to my heart and mind. And I pray it'll be a help and give some insight here. Look at verse number four. Please don't just simply pull this aside and say, oh, I've heard this before. Please focus upon what the word says here. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image idols or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. 
thou shalt not bow down thyself to them. Now notice this phrase, nor serve them. God actually uses the phrase of bowing down, nor. In other words, you're not bowing down to the idol, but you're willingly serving the idol. Notice what he continues to say, and we'll come back to that word serve there in just a moment. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. God says, I want your heart. I want you to be focused upon me. Oh, he deserves our heart. He's our God. He's our Savior. If you've put your faith and trust in him, he deserves every bit of our heart. But the Bible tells us and warns us not to serve or bow down to these idols. That word serve there is an interesting word. It actually means to work. It speaks of expending energy. Notice this, to cultivate a relationship. Think about that for just a moment. Let that sink in. God says, I don't want you to bow down to the idol, but I don't want you to expend energy, your being, your work, to cultivate a relationship that encourages idol worship. God warns us to not only not bow down to them, but not to encourage others or to encourage ourselves in a fellowship that is going against God himself. Therefore, when we think about some of the activities in which fellowship and we want to be a part in, whether family, and I understand that this year is going to be much different in this Christmas season, but God warns us that when we approach a situation in which we are offered an opportunity of fellowship and that fellowship would encourage people to worship an idol in their life, God says, I don't want you to partake in that. There are some times in which a Christian ought to say no because it will encourage your heart in fellowship with an idol in someone's life or it will encourage someone to further their relationship with that idol. Some people have made alcohol an idol in their life. We ought not to fellowship with that. We ought not to further that. We ought not to serve that. Some people have made other areas in their life, whether it's money or deeds, and we ought to not fellowship with those things that bring and further the idol. I'm not saying we ought to empty our bank accounts. That's, don't, don't, don't put us out of context. But what I am saying is when someone is furthering their idol and their idol is fully uh, uh, money and nothing more than money, God says be careful of that fellowship there. Be careful of that servitude there, that their idol is something that you could further. And God says be careful of that. Avoid that. You see, God can use a stand for Christ, a stand for God that I'm going to serve Him, 
He's my God. He's my focus. He's my being. He can use that stand that says, no, I'm not going to fellowship. I'm not going to partake in that to further the gospel more than us partaking in it. So many today want to use Christian liberty and grace as an excuse to go into an area in which we ought not to go, saying it's okay, it's all under grace, but God says, be ye holy. God tells us to, ta- to, uh, to be separate. God teaches us that it's not just because of grace that we can do anything we want, but because of grace we can abstain from those things. You see, God's grace is not to help us to go into sin, but it's to help us to stand apart and to do that which is right. God's grace, God's favor, God's help is not an excuse to sin, but it, is an, but it is a reason in which we may serve and do that which is right. Your stand and your stand for right and doing that which is right in your heart and uh, right in the heart of the Bible and the Word of God and following God's word with all of your heart will further the gospel rather than partaking in the pleasures of sin for a moment. May I remind us this morning? As Paul truly exhorts our hearts to flee from idolatry. May I, may I simply conclude by repeating verse number 15 once again. I speak as to wise men. Judge ye what I say. This is between you and the Lord. I'm not going to dictate in your life where you should and should not go. I'm not going to do that. Nor should I. I'm not a dictator. I'm simply one that's trying to help us with the word of God. Simply a minister, one that is trying to serve in the gospel ministry. It would be wrong for me to dictate into lives. But may I remind us this morning, that the Holy Spirit is with us as children of God. He sees everything. He's part of everything. He knows what and where we go. He knows what's going on. Would you yield your heart to the Holy Spirit? Would you yield your mind Would you allow him to navigate your heart and life? May I implore you, please, be careful of the fellowship that you allow yourself to be connected with. It's important. It's very important. Worship him. There's one God. Make make much of him.